Whether you are interested in building buy-in, fostering a learning environment, adapting to change, helping people navigate uncertain times, you are somebody that is a coach. Now, it doesn't matter if you're a teacher. It doesn't matter if you're a CEO. It doesn't matter if you're an athletic director. It doesn't matter if you're in the medical profession. When you're guiding and supporting others, you're coaching in some fashion. And that's why it made sense for me today to have my good friend Heidi Morrison on the show today. As an assistant principal at Centennial High School in Fulton County, Georgia, Heidi has worked with more than 10,000 kids over her 23-year career or in institutions that have supported that many kids. She's got a background in special education, leadership, and career advising. And in this episode, Heidi gives us unique insight into the ever-changing role of teachers and administrators. Now, this is critically important regardless of the field you're in. We're going to talk about a lot of different things. We're going to talk about how you can design spaces to create more comfort and buy-in. The use of proxemics, something that we talk about a lot at our Art of Coaching communication workshops, and even the strategic use of your dark side. We're also going to talk about how COVID-19 has impacted education. And should we really be trying to catch up? Should we be trying to speed these kids along? And also what it's like managing change within a massive school district, which many of you can relate to in your own or own organizations. Now, if the things that we're talking about with Heidi are interesting to you. Understand they are just the tip of the iceberg. If you're a new listener, we host live events that are now back on. Our next one is July 25th and 26th in Charleston, South Carolina. The details you can find at artofcoaching.com backslash apprenticeship. We have live workshops that feature the first systematic evaluation of communication in leadership and coaching. What does that bunch of jargon mean? It means that we've dove deep into the research We've simplified some things, not dumbed it down, just simplified in terms of making it more practical and given professionals in every field a take-home, a strategic take-home they can use to better evaluate themselves and their peers, including their staff, as communicator. And we do it through a process. We do film breakdowns. We do group break uh, case studies. We do all these different things where you get guidance from peers in all different kinds of fields. Because I think we all agree, you can't isolate yourself in an echo chamber. You're never really going to get better. Now, if live events aren't your thing, and I understand the COVID thing can be a bit scary, we still have online courses. Bought In is all about behavioral science and what it takes to really build and relate and more effectively communicate with others. Now, I use the term strength coach and athlete a lot. Well, guys, that's my background. But rest assured, all of our resources are not just for strength coaches and athletes. It's no different than if you've read a book from a Navy SEAL. You certainly don't have to be a Navy SEAL to extract leadership lessons. Now, if online courses aren't your thing, we have my book, Conscious Coaching, which is available worldwide on Amazon. And that's why we had to bring Heidi on. Because all these things that took me so many years to study, even more time to to master, and I still wouldn't even call myself, I don't know who amongst us is a master at communication. Heidi does so well innately, and she has to do it in multiple contexts. So without further ado, I bring you Heidi Morrison. And if you love it, go to artofcoaching.com, tell a friend about the podcast, but let's dive in. Welcome to the Art of Coaching Podcast, a show aimed at getting to the core of what it takes to change attitudes, behaviors, and outcomes in the weight room, boardroom, classroom, and everywhere in between. I'm your host, Brett Bartholomew. I'm a performance coach, keynote speaker, and the author of the book, Conscious Coaching. But most importantly, I'm a lifelong student interested in all aspects of human behavior and communication. I want to thank you for joining me. And now let's dive into today's episode. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. I am here today with my neighbor and good friend, Heidi Morrison. Heidi, how are you? Good morning. Good. You have an amazing radio voice. Thank you. Yeah, you might want to think about hosting your own <laughs> podcast at some point in time. It's an underrated thing. Like, if you have the right voice, mm-hmm. people will hear you talk about anything. Okay. Well, I wanted to have Heidi on the show, guys, because as you know, and as the intro talks about, this is about changing attitudes, behaviors, and out- outcomes in the boardroom, weight room, classroom, and everywhere in between. And Heidi is a master of doing so in the classroom. She's worked in public schools for how long now, Heidi? Over 20 years. Over 20 years. And you can appreciate, guys, that we live in an era, especially during uh, COVID-19, whenever you're listening to this, 
there are some extreme social challenges in schools in general, reaching kids uh, with the, uh, all the technology that's out there, all the different things that goes on. But now it's one of the untold stories of the challenges of COVID-19 is, yes, we know businesses are struggling. Yes, we know people are struggling. And unfortunately, there's been so many lives that have been lost. But now you think about the social challenges that kids in schools, students of all ages face when they're not around their friends, right? They're already hooked to screens. They're already hooked to other things, and they don't learn the, the natural social skills that we all have to utilize in life. And now they're not around their friends either. So, you know, I want to have Heidi on to talk about the challenges of reaching kids in different settings in general. And not only that, how you manage agendas of the teachers and all that as well, because we know in any workplace, there are so many different challenges when you're trying to lead upward, downward, laterally. And I just really want to have a good discussion with a great educator and somebody that's been involved for a long time. So Heidi, let's, let's start with this. When it comes to reaching kids, now what, what age group do you predominantly work with? High school. High school. So, and for those of that are international listening to this, can you give an idea of that age range? So that's uh, ninth grade, which is 14 to 17, 18. Okay, 14 to 17, 18. Obviously a really sensitive age. I was mm-hmm. hospitalized at 15. I remember that's when I dealt with depression. And there's a lot of changes that go on in their lives, right? Mm-hmm. We're not just talking about things like puberty, but just all these other social influences that come in. And, you know, just give people, most people listening have an idea, but is there anything that really surprises you anymore working with kids of that age group? No, in fact, it's, it's even hard for me to kind of keep up sometimes on the lingo and what's being called what, or what the new thing is. I mean, that's something as a 48 year old, I have to keep up with. Yeah. Right. So I can relate to them in some sort of way. And finding out the way that they sneak things, you know, working with athletes, we always talk about like athletes will find a way to cheat a rep. Mm-hmm. They're always trying to get by with something. And you and I, you and I have had discussions about kids now, how they hide vape pens yes. and they'll, they'll look like USB sticks. Right. They'll do all these other things, but being an assistant principal, you know, you have this authority already. So kids are more likely to hide things already because you have that title. It's a power dynamic, right? Right. How do you address that? How do you take away this veil of, uh, an expert or an authority to be able to relate downwards, make them feel more comfortable, make them learn they can trust you. How do you get them to buy? And what is even a step in that process for a kid that age? So sure, it kind of depends on you know why they're in my office to start with. So if it's a discipline issue, I always start with the worst is already over, mm. right? You got caught. Yeah. So let let's just move forward. And that's good. Just know, rip the bandaid off just right rip away. Rip it off. And, you know, the tears might start. I, I have more boys crying in my office than girls. Really? Yeah, hands down. Hands down. Um, and athletes uh, are just bawling like babies. And, you know, so it's just, do you want me to call your mom or your dad? And then the next part is, you know, you're going to tell them what you did. Yeah. Right? So yeah, you have, have to own up. it. You got to own it. Yeah. And then if they're, as far as my office being open for if a kid's just having a, a rough day, just knowing, you know, I've always been known to have the most um, calming and peaceful office. Um, Is that something you – have you designed it that way intentionally? Yes. yes. And, and give us an idea. One of, one of my presentations talks about how design, and we know this from like Las Vegas, they'll spend tens of millions of dollars in these casinos to get people to kind of drop their guard, even if they're not gamblers, right? They pump the aromas in the air. Mm-hmm. They make everything relaxing. What do you do to mil- build that environment, to create that? So sure, about I guess five or six years ago, I started with um, the aromatherapy of the you know water vapor stuff yeah. and the light changing things. Yep. And then I started with then just calming music in the back. So all my lights are um, the office lights, you know, so to speak, are off, and I had just have various lamps on. And you know, I kind of when they come in, just talking in that tone and approaching them. I'm not going to come at you at full force, you know, ginger here. You know, like sometimes I do that fiery attitude. So it's just, um, it just let it out, yeah. right? Just kind of let it out. And so they kind of feel that release. And there's things in my office that they can play with, you know, um, finger fidgets, the fidget spinners. Yeah. You um, give them a little bit of what they want inherently right. to drop their guard. Right. Yeah. Right. Which I mean, a lot of, uh, it's interesting. A lot of listeners, especially if you guys aren't familiar with my courses or what have you, you might view that as manipulation. And Heidi and I would both tell you, well, yeah, manipulation can be a good thing. Remember, if you guys look up the definition of manipulation, it is to wield or adjust something skillfully. It does not always have to have a negative connotation. And we do that all the time, Heidi, in, in strength and conditioning and beyond. 
we have to make sure that they feel like it's a place that they want to be in, whether we're adjusting the music. Um, you know, there's always battles about music in the weight room. Always. I mean, I, it eventually got to a point where on Spotify, I had to create what I call the people pleaser playlist where it's 900 songs that alternates between hip hop, country, rock, you know, all these things, because heaven forbid an athlete ever performed a set without their favorite song on. Mm -hmm. Um, so we do that, you know, uh, coaches will do different quotes on the weight room, some better than others, right? A lot of things in strength and conditioning used to be pain is weakness, leaving the body. I don't know that a 20 year old connects with that, you know? And yeah, right. so what I like hearing specifically about your design is it's not about you. You designed what they want. You're mm -hmm. not in your office messing with fidget spinners. No. You're not in your office. doing <laughs> like, this is a place where they come because that allows you to get what you need out of the interaction mm -hmm. and help them most effectively. Am I correct? Correct. I mean, and for me, it's a total beach theme. So, you know, the beach, you know, I have the curtains and I have pictures and, you know, mermaids everywhere and, you know, sayings and encouraging things and, and to, so when they're looking behind me, right, that they can see different things and, oh, you, what does this mean? Or where did this shell come from? Or tell me, and that kind of just kind of starts the dialogue if I don't know the student, because yeah. sometimes a student comes in my office and I've never seen them before. Mm. And it might be the first time they got caught, right? right? Or, you know, just whatever issue where they just lost, you know, their dog or a parent or anything. And now you're in my office and I need to become a counselor all yeah. of a sudden, right? So. And how do you deal with, in my book, Conscious Coaching, we talk about different archetypes. Mm -hmm. And one distinguishing piece we always talk about is nobody's static archetype, right? You and I, we're friends. We know each other. Mm -hmm. We've had, we, our families have had dinner together. Mm -hmm. So we might, you know, we present one archetypical personality together. But if we all go somewhere where it's kind of like, we don't trust people or what have you, or it's a dangerous part of town, or maybe there's heaven forbid something going on that we'll, we'll be more reclusive. We'll clam up. We see that with students too. You might have somebody that's charismatic. They're warm. They're outgoing. They love it. They love life when they're around their friends, but in their, in your office, now all of a sudden they become defensive. Mm -hmm. Now all of a sudden they become skeptical. Talk to me about how you navigate different archetypical behaviors, different personalities. How do you, how do you deal with that? Do you have any kind of strategy of how you kind of just remain flexible and things of that nature? Yeah. So one of the many hats that we wear is also being an investigator. Mm. Um, and so, you know, once they get, if they're going to be defiant or they really don't want to answer any questions or make a statement, yeah. right? So we always try to get them to make a statement because that's your side of the story. So a lot of kids just, re well, I refuse to say anything because I'm afraid it's going to be held against me. Oh, they me. don't want to snitch or something like right. that. Yeah, and yeah. I'm like, but, but that's not where we're going, right? So you just have to talk to me and understand that there are consequences for your behavior. And even sharing with them you know, these were the expectations laid out at the beginning of the school year. So what made you think that was okay? Yeah. Right. And so how did your behavior affect other people in this building? So look what, you know, just now has happened. I have to call your parents. You could possibly be suspended from school. Now you're going to be, you know, lost on your schoolwork. I mean, so it's a trickle down effect. Yeah. And so for some that sometimes that light bulb goes on that first time. And for others, my gosh, I may see him once a week. Yeah. Right. Well, and the tricky thing with that too is I would have to imagine that, you know, teenagers, and it's not, this isn't something that is necessarily their fault, but we know from science, they're not rational beings. The prefrontal cortex, a part of our brain that deals exactly. with rationality is not fully developed till 25. So one thing I'm curious, and it's okay if you need to take a moment to think about it, because it is a hard question is when dealing with non-rational human beings, Right. You, and you do a good job. You break it down like this is what happened. These were the expectations. Now look what's going to happen. But for some, that doesn't connect, especially because that prefrontal cortex, again, not fully developed. They're still running off that limbic system, reward, reward or punishment or fear or anxiety. So and I have to be careful how I say this. Sometimes you do have to strike the fear of God in some people. Mm -hmm. Right. You can't just talk to them about being warm and empathetic and what mm -hmm. have you. Sometimes you got to show the darkness. Oh, yeah. Do you have that side? Oh, absolutely. How do you manage it? So, um, you know, we do play the bad cop, good cop. And you and the uh, uh, head other, principal? Yeah, well, other, and the other assistant or just principals, other right? Yeah. So, you know, we were really good about, okay, I'm, I'm not getting any information out of this kid. Okay, so let me go in. I mean, honest to God, we are investigators when it comes to discipline issues, when it comes with drugs and, you know, whatever the kids are doing. Yeah. So 
you know, if I go in and, you know, listen, I scoot the chair up. I got, I mean, we were taught, you know, techniques like that to get right in their face. I lean down and say, listen, again, the worst is over. So talk to me, tell me what happened. You know, you know, what would your, you know, if your mom was sitting right here, you know, do you curse at her like that? So why are you talking to me like that? Yeah. You know, I'm not the enemy. Yeah, Yeah. I'm not. So, and sometimes that works and sometimes, you know, you can't get anything out of a kid. You just say, you know, okay, I'm not going to sit here and waste 30 minutes trying to get information from you. So let's just move on. And I like that you brought that up, you know, and there's a lot of things I want to make sure you remind me if I forget, I want to come back to, you said you were taught techniques like that. We want to get into where you were taught that. But one thing that I love about you scooting the chair for it, and it's such a small thing. We talk about verbal and nonverbal elements a lot in our apprenticeship workshops. So they're all about teaching communication tactics for situations like this and other things in real life. And one of the things you talked about is scooting your chair forward is what we use as uh, proxemics. It's closing the space mm-hmm. between two people. And I remember when I took an improv comedy class one time, they said that, hey, when you want to create drama in a scene, now this is in theater, they go, you create actual distance. And I go, well, that's interesting because in life, we want to close the distance. Right. Like, right, if somebody gets in my face, like I'm a nice guy, but if somebody gets in my face and I know your husband's face, <laughs> right, like we're going to close that gap. Right, right. And plus, like I got a left hook. I'm going to the, you know. But, you know, they're like in theater, you want to create it because it makes the audience uncomfortable. But the point is, is I love what you did there because you didn't have to say anything, right? You can just close the space and they understand things are getting serious. And while those things seem intuitive to us, they tend to be non-obvious. So do things like haptics and touch, right? Like right now we're sitting in my uh, kitchen at my house. And if all of a sudden, just to encourage you, I put my hand on your shoulder, that touch does something. Absolutely. Right now, we have to be careful of how we apply that with kids and, and uh, you know, athletes and what have you, especially in the age of, like, consent. Right. Where all of a sudden, I feel like if, if my son hits a home run someday when he's a little leaguer, I'll be scared to, like, pat him on the butt and be like, good job, bud, you know, right. and things like that. But when you say you were taught those things, who, who's, how, what kind of communication training or conflict resolution training do you go through? Well, you know, I think in my past life, I was a police officer. Um, I did do a citizen's police academy. Really? I really did in Alpharetta. And I, you know, went through the whole training and everything just to be a, what do you call it? A, like to do citizen's arrest yes, and things yes, like that? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I learned some techniques there. And then just, um, I also took a course for safety and security um, right after, I guess it was, I can't, if it was after Columbine, um, you know, that's when the relationship building kind of really started. That's when those things changed. Yeah. Yeah. And it's been so long ago, but, um, and just learning in the book and they gave us, you know, techniques that they use in in the police force Mm. of trying to get information out of people. And, you know, you're right that, that touch, I mean, sometimes just me by scooting up to a child and just say, you know, who's at home right now? Yeah. Like, you know, we're talking a lot of single, single parents. So, you know, is it mom? Is it dad? Yeah. And once they kind of tell me that, you know, gosh, the tears will start, you know, and I'm not joking when I can make a, a young boy cry, which is sad just by talking with them. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it's good. It's they should be able to do that. Right? With you. I, I yeah. think, I think they can trust me and I, yeah. I want them to know they can trust me. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, I'm here to make sure your safety and security is my biggest, you know, concern. Yeah. So um, sometimes just kind of releasing that and, um, you know, I'm not a young black male and I can't relate to that, but it is hard sometimes for, you know, them to kind of speak freely. Yeah. And um, feel that, feel that trust. Yeah. And I I think we live in a, it's interesting because I always kind of go off on, you know, when, when I wrote my book, there were some people that would say, yeah, I don't, you know, I coach a hundred athletes or I lead a hundred people or 50 people. I don't have time to have a one-to-one with people. I'm like, well, then you shouldn't be in the job. Right. You know, like we already go up and down and say, Hey, how was your sleep? How was this? How was that? How's that weight feeling? These are micro interactions, right? Like you're not pulling every student in and having heart to hearts with them. But right. the, there are things when there's conflict and it's hit a tipping point, you got to know when to extract. You got to know when to say, hey, and especially that, that's part of leadership because it's followers who teach leadership to the leaders. And so if we bring somebody in, you have a connection with them and now you learn a little bit more how they think. Now you can apply that to more right. of the masses. And th- you're right. Everybody's got different things leaning on them, whether it's a single parent household. One time I worked with a kid from uh, rural Iowa who he was by and large in charge of the family farm. 
He yeah. was. His, his dad had run it. He had relatives that had run it. His dad had gotten sick, hurt his back, wasn't able to do that. So now this kid was trying to balance sports, being a full-time athlete, and running the family farm. Mm-hmm. And I don't care what anybody says. You can't – while nobody is a delicate flower and you got to treat them all special, they are different people. You, you, I can't sit there and get on that kid – for if he's like five minutes late now, when I know that he had to, he's been up since four in the morning, three in the morning doing stuff that some of the, but then it's tricky, right? Cause where do you, this is what I want to ask you. Where do you balance special treatment with things? Because certainly there are extenuating circumstances. I'm sure you've met with some students, right? but then you have to, you have to keep consistency. And I know our audience will want this. They all know that there's somebody that it is a special circumstance, right? but they don't want it to discredit them as a leader. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So I can give an example of, um, I called, it was like maybe a McDonald's or Burger King one time. Mm. And, you know, the kid was under 18, so he was working more than 40 hours a week. Wow. And trying to go to high school, right? Yeah. Good for him, by the and, way. Yeah, absolutely. That's a hustle. But that is a true hustle. But, I mean, he was come to school exhausted, mm. right? So he was sleeping and, you know, not getting his homework done, obviously. Yeah. And just totally not focused, not in it. But his home life is I got to provide a little bit for my family. So I'm helping, you know, to contribute. So I called them. I called Burger King or whatever. And I said, hey, listen, you know, this kid is in high school. And I'm pretty sure he can't work over 40 hours. And he may ask. But I, I need you to be more lenient on – he after cleanup, if you close the tent, let him go. He right. shouldn't have to clean the grill and do all that kind of stuff. Like we need to help figure something out. So I need you to help work with me on this, right? That's genius. I mean because it really is – the answer is that obvious, right? You can you, – because you, right. if you try talking to the kid, the kid's going to sit here and – No way. Gonna, I'm losing money. Right. They're going to do one of two things. They're going to tell you, yeah, okay, you're right. They're just going to – because they don't want to deal with the conflict. Mm-hmm. They're going to tell you uh, – yeah, and we deal that with a lot with – um uh, I'll work with teams that have trouble building buy-in with a certain athlete. And so they reach out to a third party, mm-hmm. not because these teams or the people that work for them, the professional sports organizations or organizations in general aren't competent, but because sometimes you want that non-biased third party, right. right? It's so weird that we've gotten like this bad attitude towards consultants where reaching out to somebody that's got distance can provide a unique perspective. And you just gave me one. It's like, if we talk to the kid, they're going to either tell you what, uh, what you want to hear and they're not going to change. Mm-hmm. Or they're going to say, hey, tough shit, pardon my language, but, like, this is what I got to do, like you said, to feed my family. So go to the source because here's the thing, right? Burger King's going to care because you made a point. Mm -hmm. Like, that. there are labor laws. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. And they may have not even known, like, some people just want to work longer. They might not know the backstory. But I waited tables. It was the most valuable job that I ever had aside from working at a sorority. And I waited. (laughs) Can't wait to hear that story. (laughs) I waited tables at a place called the Garden Cafe Grill and Bakery. And I was uh, maybe, what was I? It was, I was 16. I think it was after I got out of the hospital. And it was a great place to work because on Saturdays and Sundays, I could go in. You're going to get the church crowd. You're going to get this. You'd walk out of there with $300, $400 cash. But then sometimes I would want to work a double because, you know, like, and my friends at the time were still just not people I connected with doing drugs and what have you. All I was doing was playing sports, working out, and doing that job. Now, think about it. I had to, I had to meet all kinds of different kinds of people. There's this one woman. We'll call her Julie. And Julie's food was never hot enough. And so I'd take it out. We used to play a game. She'd be like, I'll send it back. I'm like, Julie, this, like, this just came off the grill. But it was a control thing. This, right. is, this was such an education for me. And, uh, and I'd take it back. And we literally wait there for like Stop. 10. Well, because we used to heat it up again. We'd heat it up. And then when she'd do this every day, like clockwork, all right, 5.30 p.m., here comes Julie. She's going to get this casserole. It's never going to be hot enough, what have you. <laughs> and we'd wait 10 seconds. And we'd take it back and we'd be like, how is it, Julie? Oh, this is, now this is a hot meal. Um, but you always just want to go to the source, you know, and it's good for kids to have those jobs, but they're always, they're not going to know their limits. Givers don't like to set, set limits, but takers, you know, they'll always go beyond it. So did, how did that work out? Did, I mean, how did that? It, it worked. So, you know, and I think kids need, they need someone. Yeah. So I always tell, you know, and I kind of gone off track here, but if kids are not connected to a building or to their school, they're not going to do well, mm. right? So you've, you've, you've got to get them involved, and he, he wasn't involved, right? So he wasn't in any clubs or any sports, but then he, I was his connection. So I was the connection to the building. Okay, she really does care, right? Because I do care for your well-being. Yeah. And so, but your, your school is important too. For sure. So, you know, it was a hard balance for him. Um, you know, he was an immigrant, and so being – you know, 
I don't know what, you know, I'd be the first one in my family to get a high school diploma. Really? So that was important for me. Yeah. And to show him, well, hey, I'm the first graduate in my family from college. So it is important in showing them the cost. And you have to, I think, go even a step further. Like, do you know how much money that piece of paper, and I have it hanging on my wall, of a high school diploma is worth, you know, $19,000. Yeah. That graduate degree is worth that amount of money. And so because... That sometimes is a way you could connect with them. So if he was after, you know, the money, I go, so just imagine if you finish your high school diploma, you could be a manager at Burger King. Spot on. And guys, if if you're listening, Heidi did this perfectly. Whenever somebody asks me for a quote unquote cheat sheet or the quick answer to building buy-in. And by the way, I hate that question when you guys ask that because there is no cheat sheet. And Heidi would tell you that to any leader would tell you if you want real buy-in, there's no quick way to do it. But what she did there, that example of how she broke it down fits the three R approach, research, relate, and reframe. She got to know the kid. She got to know the, uh, the situation. She sought to understand. She related. She used the art of self-disclosure, saying she would also be one of the first in her family to get mm-hmm. uh, the diploma, the degree, or diploma, uh-huh, right? College yeah, degree. College degree. And then after that, she reframed and said, now imagine if you did that, what that could lead to in your future. That's research, relate, and reframe. You make it about the person and what they care about most because that's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. You give them a little information about yourself because everybody wants to relate to somebody and see them as like, mm-hmm. okay, you get it. And then finally you show them that future that can be attained. Mm-hmm. And cause a lot of them, they, they're so caught up in the moment They are that future doesn't, it, yeah. it's not even in their brain. They're just in the process. And you brought up another good point of like time. I, I would have to imagine there's some kids that come to your office one, two, 10 times and you may never reach them. Right. And then all of a sudden it's their last year of high school or something like that. And, Something you said or the way you said something, has that ever happened? And I'll I'll get it when I'm giving them that hug as they cross the stage, right? Remember when uh, Mrs. Morrison, I did this and I get it. Like the light bulb just clicked or they'll come back that following year and a year in college. It clicked. I get it. You're right. You know, I'm like, it's okay, right? This is life and we're here to help you grow. Yeah. One thing I was talking to your husband about is you, you know, we, we, we're talking about students right now, but you certainly, these are also student athletes. Mm -hmm. And he mentioned a a special relationship that you had with Peyton Barber, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, In the NFL talked about how you were a rock, a hearth for him. Talk to us about that. How did that relationship come about in terms of just the mentor mentee? And, and uh, if if you don't mind Mm -mm. giving a little insight about that, because I think there are certain coaches listening that hopefully they're picking up and saying, Oh my God, there's so many lessons I can learn here, right? Because we're all really in the same field. Mm-hmm. We're all in the people business. Um, but I want to, I want them to understand like how you as an assistant principal even make that impact and that inroad with somebody who is a world-class athlete. Right. Thank you. So, um, you know, it's, it's no secret that Peyton will tell you that he was dyslexic and he was in the special ed program. So, you know, he got accommodations and services for, you know, his learning disability. Mm. And so my background is in special ed teaching, special really? education. Yes. So um, he would come to, you know, my office and just, you know, I don't understand this. Or he, you know, the processes of certain things. And so the athletic director and I would work with him very closely on explaining the why. And I think the biggest, um, you know, he didn't have a very, you know, good home life. And myself and, and my secretary at the time who was also one of his athletic trainers, you know, really formed a good bond with him. And he was very open and honest. He's a very spiritual person. And he would, you know, I remember him coming in and trying to decide if he was going to go to Ole Miss or Auburn. Mm. And he and Carl Lawson were in my office. And I remember, you know, him just crying. Like he just could not make a decision because it was going to impact his entire life. Right. And he just had that burden on his shoulders and he really he would he would want to just run away and just hide because he really didn't know what to do. And so through the guidance with, um, you know, the athletic director, you know, he he would come in. I'm like, all right, Peyton, let's write down the pros and cons. Ole Miss and Auburn, you know, and it was down to what colors do you like? Do you like the blue and orange? Do you just like the orange and white (laughs) or, you know, or blue and red for Ole Miss? And, you know, just odd things like that. But what about proximity that to your home? Peyton was very much a, a homie, like just wanting to be home, you know, all the time. He liked the, 
you know, Milton High School was such a home environment for him. And he was a homebody. And he definitely was raised by a village, right, so to speak. And so, you know, he would just come in sometimes and just like, I just can't today. Like, I just, I can't. Like, I have to make this decision. And I'm like, that's fine. Again, the music's going. The therapy's going. He'd just sit on the floor and just think. Yeah. Right? And then, you know, Carl would come in and Carl would sit and play with the candle wax on my desk because I'd burn a candle or something. And I'm like, all right, Carl, so what are you doing? You're going to Auburn too? Okay, this is great. You know, both of you guys will be there. And so it's just, again, it's almost an escape. And, you know, now that this this new thing of mindfulness and mindset and but I think that's what I'm really trying to help kids walk through in their mind is that mindfulness thinking. So it's okay to take a couple minutes and kind of process it and think about it and yeah. just um, refocus again because yeah. it can be very overwhelming for a 17, 18-year-old kid. Sure. Right? Yeah. Where you, you possibly – you're going to be a millionaire and going to the NFL and you have those dreams. But this is riding on which college am I going to go to? Right. And then I'm trying to pass, you know, my high school classes. That, those decisions are everything to them. And I think that's something that people uh, tend to get removed from when they're coaches or leaders or what have you is sometimes they get so removed from the metaphorical ground floor, mm-hmm. they really don't remember how folks think. You know, when, when, I, when I'm trying to help people learn how to build buy-in, and I don't know that I even like the term empathy because we've gotten so caught up on that that we don't even know what that means. It's like, oh, I feel what that person feels. And Empathy is not the answer. It's, it's a lot of like compassion, like seeking to understand, but also having some distance from it. But no, I think a lot of leaders don't put themselves back in that situation, mm-hmm. right? Because you get, you get to a point in life where you have your family, you have this, you have your positions and you have your routine. And we had a, we have a, a, a saying when we did improv is, you know, life begins when routine ends. That's when mm-hmm. action happens. You need to disrupt the routine. And it, it's tough because so many people give advice to young people or anybody when they're kind of living in these habitualized, right? They wake up at a certain time, they do this, their whole life is controlled. Yet we deal with people who everything feels out of control. Mm-hmm. And it may seem silly to choose a, uh, a school based on colors, but that matters. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a reason Apple and Samsung and all these companies make iPhones of different colors. It's not, people actually want it. You know, there's an interesting story because they talk about how choice, you know, too much choice can, can really be harmful. And, you know, mm. it's research that shows if you have a, a, a stand that sells 26 different kinds of jam right next to one that sells two, people will spend more time at the one that has 25, 26 kinds of jam, but they're ultimately going to buy one from the one that has two choices. Mm. Yeah. And, and when they sold iPhones too, there was a unique, prof- there was a professor talking about this on a podcast once talking about how when iPhones came out, they just had white and black. They did. And, uh. Her husband wanted an iPhone. This is the very first iPhone, wanted an iPhone for his birthday. And he had said, you know, I want a black one. It's Mm -hmm. sleek. It's modern. It's sophisticated. So she talked about how she got up at three in the morning and went out there and stood in line, you know, because this is a time when people would camp out for those things. And she had finally gotten the counter and put in the order for the black iPhone. And he comes sprinting in and he's like, no, 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 no. Cancel that order. I want white. And she goes, what do you mean you want white? You just said you wanted black. And I've been here since three in the morning. He goes, well, yeah, I wanted that. But now everybody's got the black. And I, (laughs) so, and this, these are adults, but like, we're all, everybody, if they're honest with themselves can look around their house and find one to two things that it was an agonizing choice. And and Mm -hmm. so it's like, put yourself back in that mind state sometimes. And you remember what these, these kids and kids can be – that's a wide range. If we look at adolescents, that's anywhere from 10 to mid or, or early 20s, research mm-hmm. shows. They don't have that kind of experience with life choices yet. Mm-hmm. They haven't had the time to make all the wrong ones, all the right ones you have. So talk to me about patience with that because there's sometimes where the answer is so obvious to you or it may be. But you can't force that on them. Mm-mm. And you want to help, help, help. I know you. You're loving your help. Mm-hmm. I mean you bring us – an Easter wreath and you bring my wife flowers and you bring this, you want to help. How do you show restraint and patience when, when that comes about? So, um, just like you, I was also hospitalized at 15. So I had, um, Hodgkin's lymphoma stage three. Wow. So I missed my whole sophomore year of high school. So the story I share with them is imagine if that was taken away from you because it was from me. Right. And I said, so I relied on, you know, 
the phone conversation of my girlfriend were like, you know, did Eric talk to Jennifer today? And did he pass her a note? Like the little things that, you know, mattered. So, you know, that were big to me, but little in the scheme, right? And so I, I tried to talk to them and say, listen, if that was taken away from you, how would you react? Yeah. And sometimes, you know, they'll, they'll kind of think, I'm like, honestly, I missed my whole entire sophomore year of high school. Nothing. I couldn't go anywhere. I was in the house. You know, I was very, very ill. I had chemotherapy and radiation. I had no hair. It was horrible. I didn't know this. Yes. And, um, you know, then I got to go back um, April or May just to socialize. Right. Because I couldn't really do a whole day. Mm. And there's two photos that have been taken of me during that time. So I, you know, of course, we didn't have cell phones back then. Right. um, Which is terrible to say. But anyway, um, but you know, I, I tell kids that just think of that, right? So if I can relate to you on a level, imagine that happening to you or, you know, like your health right now is important to me and this is why. Yeah. So especially with the vaping, you know, it is just out of control. It's that bad. It is that bad. And they're hiding it. Like talk to the audience about some of the way, because everybody we're all leading somebody that's hiding something. Right. But talk about the lengths so, that they'll go to. The lengths that they go to. So, you know, they're, they're the size of your index finger. Yeah. And, you know, now there are some that have hardly any kind of vape, so to speak. Yeah. And so they'll vape and then they'll blow it down in their shirt. Yeah. Nobody would ever know unless you smell it. No. Right? Because they all have this fruity smell, gummy smell, whatever. And, you know, I can walk by a bathroom and go, somebody's vaping in there. Yeah. And then eyes. Right. But then the kids walk out. I don't have it. I don't have it. So then it, and it's now not like, it's like you can this, frisk a kid. Right. No. So, okay, well, follow me up to my office because let's just talk about this. Yeah. And so then I'm like, you know, I kind of guilt them into saying, do your parents know you're vaping or how long have you been vaping? Yeah. Oh, this is my first. No. No, it's Stupid not. is not tattooed across <laughs> my forehead. I always say that, you know. Um, so, you know, again, do you understand what this is doing to your lungs? I mean, so now it becomes this, I put on like this mom hat and like, you know, we don't know what this is doing to your body. So can you understand if, you know, this is destroying your lungs and then let's say next year they can't, that's out not- of the strike of God, you're going to be, you know, now you've got this illness and you're going to be out of school for a year. A lot of them are so resilient. They can't imagine that. No, they that's can't. the thing, right? That's it. Like you say, can you imagine this? Can they're like, nah, I'm good. Like but it I, puts that thought in their head. Sure. Oh, hundred percent. I mean, we, I deal with the Royal archetype all the time. People that are wildly successful at sport or what have you, and they don't ever think they'll get an ACL tear. They don't ever think they'll do this because, you know, and it's like, Hey man, like I know you tore it up in high school. I know you did this stuff, but like you're playing against other grown men or women, depending right. on the sport, you know, and, and, and the, the context now I'm like the competition is not the same. The playing field is not the same. Your body's not the same. You know, especially women, as they go through changes in life, their hip structure is not the same. That creates a whole bunch of issues, but they don't think about that. No. Now, switching gears real quick, because it's not just kids you got to deal with. You are an adult working with other adults, and there's a lot of uncomfortable changes, right? You can, all of a sudden, one year, your school could be using Apple-based software, and now you're switching to Windows or Google, and you're switching to this. and Or there's people that don't maybe like your brand of leadership, and they think you need to be more stern. Or there's people that maybe think you're too stern. You get it. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about how you deal with conflict in the workplace in general. So we are going through that change right now, actually. Which one? Leaving Google and going to Microsoft Teams. Interesting. So Why? that is huge. Just privacy um, because Microsoft Teams is more secure yes, in general? Yes. Yeah. But um, at the school I'm at, they were mostly a Google school. So it kind of depends on um, certain schools where it was more heavy. If it was a Schoology thing or Google or Microsoft Teams. But at this school, they really use Google. And now, you know, our whole entire district is like Google's dead in October. It's really? Done. We're done. And I mean, when they say they use it, right? Like, and, and forgive me, I'm used to weight room culture where, you know, we usually affiliate with a certain company that does the flooring and the weight room and the racks and this and that, right? It's kind of like Hatfields and McCoys sometimes. Right. Like, if all of a sudden you choose that you like this, oh, you know, what have you. And I can appreciate the operating system because there's always a new tech that we're using too. Right. But when you say you're a Google school, 
Does that mean you guys have like jam boards? You had Google, like what, what is integrated in these schools now? What, what does that mean? You're a Google school. It's just mostly just the applications. Okay. So using Google drive, Google drive and all that kind of stuff. So now, you know, these teachers have invested so much time and money in doing everything in Google education and do Google classroom that now we're going to have to switch everything back over. That's a pain trying to get to one hours and hours, you know, they've put into this. So that's a huge lift. That's a huge lift, but now I say we're get, we're giving you time. I just had a training the other day about using Teams in the classroom and what that looks like. Um, you know, I, I'm learning more about Microsoft. I'll use Google for certain things, and then I use Microsoft for certain things. It's yeah. kind of weird, but um, you know, with this whole COVID thing, you know, we're having to learn different um, frameworks and strategies that the district is going to be teaching us on. You know the whole education process of kids right now of, you know, they lost a third of their education, right? So how are we going to get all of them caught up and what kind of framework and can we, and are we going back face to face? Are we going back to a blended learning? Are we going back to a virtual 2.0, so to speak, you know, better than what we did this past semester. So, you know, we have all this change that is going to be coming and, um, you know, so we, we've introduced this new framework called the CAT framework. And so it's CAT stands for cope, adjust, and transform. Huh. So we're going to be learning more about that. And obviously they just kind of, you know, put it out there, you know, and it seems like every single year we get that with this is the latest and the greatest, right? Oh, yeah. We, this I mean, is we the get new this framework. Every this field is can the relate new book. I mean, it's just every single year. So, but part of this is just, you know, being flexible and embracing the change. Um, that, you know, we, we've got to learn how to be, you know, receptive in, I've always been a, a big component of change yeah. and I don't have a problem with it. I really don't. No, you shouldn't. I mean, that's life. That's it the one life, constant we right? all face. And, and maybe I'm a very flexible person. You know, I can go this way. I can go that She's way. She's doing a backflip right now. <laughs> I'm talking about that. Just whatever is best for the kids, right? That's our whole mindset. What is going to be best for our kids? So, and part of that, you know, is, is facing fears, um, you know, we have going to have new students. We're going to have new staff. We have 30 teachers that are transitioning into to our school this year. Um, that's so hard in and of itself. That's, so now you've got that's a, a huge turnover. Yeah. So not only do you have to teach the, the current staff to switch over, now you're, get, you're getting 30 new ones. Mm-hmm. And, and what's that onboarding even like? <laughs> like um, – what do you mean by onboarding? Well, like, so it's interesting. Like, I hired two people uh-huh. in my business. Now, one's my wife, but she still has to be onboarded. Another right. one, Corey, like, we, we try to, like, how do you get them accustomed to this is how we do things, this is where it is. This so is the district you- will do their own, <laughs> their own onboarding. Yeah. And then here at the school, like, we have our own little community of PLC of new teachers, so Got to it. speak. So they will meet monthly and things like that. But the district is even doing a summer program for all this new staff as well because trying to get them caught up on this other new program that we're teaching kids is the student success skills module that every kid in in, in all Fulton County schools are going to have to go through. How many kids are there? Uh, 90,000. 90,000 in Fulton County. 90,000. Wow. So that's going to happen in the first six weeks of school. So I mean, what does that look like? And I love that just because, like, I, I again, you have to appreciate. I hear sometimes coaches whine about change when they maybe have to – it's a staff of five. Or in college football, they have 100 and some odd athletes, right? NFL team, 52, all these other – we're talking 90,000. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. And 2,000 are at my school. So I always say, you know, we are a small moving city every 55 minutes. That's interesting. So, you know, I'm, I'm like the mayor of the 11th grade. You know, we have the president who's the principal, and that's how, kind of sometimes how I explain it to people because my high school um, was 140, right? And now I'm coming to a class of five 600. You know, that is just – that's – the size of my school is the size of my hometown back in Ohio. Sure. No, I can't. Right. But here's what I want to. <clears throat> so one thing that irritates me sometimes is, and, and it's a great book, great in theory, but uh, this idea that if you just tell people the why, right. that they're always going to, but there are some people that have got to come to you in some aspect of your life. It doesn't have to be school. It has to be whatever. But, and even if you tell them the why, that ain't good enough, right? There's some people that, I mean, change is scary for a lot of people, no matter what. And it's, I mean, right now, like, hey, everybody's got to stay indoors. Why? Well, to flatten the curve and this and that. That's cool. And we get it. But there's still a lot of people that are like, F that. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
So talk to me about when start with why or telling them the why doesn't work. Where do you go next? Let's, let's write down what are your fears? There you go. Address what they're running from. Address what they're running from. So, you know, what is it that you're afraid of? And is it the unknown? Is it that, you know, you don't know how to adapt yourself? You know, this is all brand new for everybody. Yeah. And, you know, the impact on education is just huge. And how it's going to trickle down, you know, for how many years? Like, how long is this really going to affect the students. And what do you think the social ramifications may be? One, I don't, I don't think personally, and feel free to disagree, I don't think students are going to get caught up, and I don't think that's important. Because I think that this is, a light, this is an interesting educational moment in general. They always talk about you can't solve problems with the same thinking that got you there. Mm-hmm. Well, why would we try to just ramp up and, and play catch up to something where you just kind of – maybe you can create another solution. Like to give an example, right, so that doesn't feel ambiguous. Um, we're working with two universities right now that have uh, professors that are basically like, I'm not doing online. And now they're mm-hmm. going to have to, but they're putting the bare minimum into it. They're kind of just doing screen shares, talking over slides, mm-hmm. the old Ben Stein thing. Yeah. And this is where the parabola is, right? Mm-hmm. Like just these things. Mm-hmm. And so they've reached out and said, hey, you know, what solutions do you have maybe that we could integrate? And this was a goal of ours because we always wanted to get our online courses, which are kind of like master class and feel into schools because I don't want to convince the 50, 60, 70 year old strength coach that they should start learning more about communication if they don't want to. I'm not, I'm not going down that path, right? I, mm-hmm. I spent time doing that. And I'm just like, nah, I'd rather go upstream and help because we know that students aren't getting social education, literal social education on things like power dynamics and communication and tone of voice and just all the, they're getting the base stuff they hear in leadership books, if anything. So I knew I wanted to get that in there. So long story short, we're working with two universities now who are having trouble with professors who are being, let's just say, stubborn and not want to do online learning, and they're going to integrate bought in and valued into a 200 or 300 level collegiate course because okay. it's already done. It's like five to 10 week curriculum depending on what you do, and there's 4K video, and they have assignments and, and all these things. And so they're not dealing with – it was like we're not only going to fight these fears and these issues for so long. We're going to give students an alternative to learn. Now they don't have to learn from this professor. We're going to seek outside contractors who have accredited resources that can come in and do these things. So do you feel like there's some novel solutions that, that you guys could create where maybe not getting caught up is huge? Or are you of the opinion, no way, they've missed a third of their school year. We have to get caught up now. Like, are you going to, do you think, what, what do you think is the right way to approach that? Well, you know, when... I was thinking about certain things, you know, special education really popped into my head and I kept thinking, you know, parents are turning into teachers and do they have those skill sets? Do they have you that, edu- do they have the resources? Do they have the resources? I mean, we would give them the resources, but sitting down with your child and being a teacher is completely different than being a parent. Cause the experts out of town parent. too, right. right? Like I, and that's, I'm glad you brought that up. That's a good place to go to next. I think I can talk about communication all I want with everybody, but it, it may not have the same effect with my wife or my kid, right? Mm-hmm. I can teach other people how to influence businesses that have hundreds of thousands of, em- of employees and we can get great outcomes. I can work with 30 athletes that have millions of dollars. We can get good outcomes. My kid is not going to listen to me, right? Right. I'm not, I'm not illusory to that for a certain amount of my life. He is not going to listen because that's your kid. And so to what degree, even if the parents have the resources and the parents have the time, can you even trust that their kids are going to give them the attention to do these things. Right. And I think that's when the whole, maybe the blended, the half day. I agree. Kind of comes in. So if kids do so that way you are giving those kids who can excel and kind of do online on their own. But if they need to come in for a face to face, that old traditional way of learning that that's available as well. It was like what the Khan Academy did. The oh, Khan, absolutely. Right. Big it, fan of Khan Academy. Yeah, I mean, it's, and it's, that's another example of how tweaking environment changes mm-hmm. behavior. Right. They said, and for those of you not familiar, and I'm giving a very brief premise here, but they basically looked at it and said, it makes no sense that people would come to class and get lectures mm-hmm. and then go home and work on the homework because they're going to get stuck. Mm-hmm. And then when they're stuck, they may come to class the next day and not have home. And I know I was one of these kids. Like I loved history. I loved language arts. I love those things. But I struggled with certain parts of math, which is funny because I love it within my domain, sports science and strength and conditioning. But there were just rules in math where it's like, I'd ask why. And they'd be like, well, that's just the way that is. And I'm like, mm, 
I don't like that. It doesn't give me a heuristic. I don't get it. You know, and my dad's a whiz at math. So he'd just yell at me and be like, how do you not understand this? And I'd be like, shut up. You know, I just wrote a, a paper on Teddy Roosevelt. That That's cool. But um, the point of Khan Academy is they said, we're going to flip it. We're going to have kids watch the lectures at home, go through the subject matter at home, and then they're going right. to come to class for help. Duh. Right. And I look at that as that, that's my coaching style. I use guided discovery. We use a lighthouse as a heuristic for art of coaching. We say, hey, we're not always going to be on the ship with you. You wouldn't want us to. You've got to learn how to, right? It's that whole idea of smooth seas and never made a skillful sailor. And that's that picture I have in my office. They have to learn how to ride the wave. But we're that lighthouse kind of pointing the true north or that beam. And, and we're letting them know there's firm terra firma here. But uh, guided discovery is where should it, teaching and education goes. Don't you agree? Uh, totally. Totally. I mean, and, you know, Khan Academy was on something many years ago, right? <clears throat> because learning and flipping the classroom like that is a complete culture change. So that is a huge, huge issue. And some teachers can do it very successfully. Um, I know I worked with a teacher at another high school that he would flip the classroom like that. And he made his own podcasts and things like that very cool. about biology. And then the kids would come in with all their questions. So to me, that is differentiation instruction at its finest, right? Because gone are the days where you can stand and lecture. I remember in, sitting in U.S. history, and all we did was take notes for 45 minutes. Yeah. And then we played euchre after that. I mean, you know, so I, I you can't do that. Even in my teaching career, I remember doing that. So there, there is so many different levels in education and the students in your classroom that you have to be able to teach and to every, to all those levels. And so, you know, I try to tell teachers that it's okay. Like if you go ahead and maybe lecture for eight to 10 minutes, and then you're going to go, you might have three different levels of your, in your classroom, right? You might have your high and your middle and your low. So your high, here's, here's what you guys are going to do. Middle here, low here. And I'm going to start high, middle, low here in terms of like where they are in the classroom, Got it. As far, right? It yeah. still might be world history, Grades but we're uh, yeah, we're kind of yeah. in the mix. So they might you might work more one on one with your C kids than your B or your A kids, yeah. right? And so you still have your talented and gifted kids over here that you still need to excel their learning. But then your you know your special ed kids or kids who might need some accommodations that they need that one on one more time. They need some more right. help with learning the material. So again, it, it's it's. No more lecture of 35 minutes as that whole adapting to change. And But even in the mindset of kids, that kids still thrive. They miss. Sure. They do. And it was so strange to hear them. I don't like the way they're teaching. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? So that's a skill set they have to learn, right? They don't know how to go get the information and then teach themselves. Yeah. That's huge. That personal accountability is huge. And I want to go back to what you said about the high, middle, low uh, strength coaches, that's periodization, right? That's or uh, that's uh, just auto-regulation too, right? You know that if you have people that are new to the weight room, people that are more advanced level trainees, you're going to give certain people certain exercises, certain uh, set and rep schemes. You're going to use different modalities. You're going to auto-regulate those things, right? Uh, financial advisors, that's diversification. There's people with different uh, forms of wealth and they, they make different amounts each year. You're going to diversify their portfolio. Guys, we're all in the same field. Right. Like, so you're hearing these things and the answers are relatively obvious. The problem is, is we're not seeing the connections. And I think that what's behind a lot of this is just laziness. It's easy for people to get up and give lectures. It is. And we deal with Absolutely. this. We dealt with this in strength and conditioning where I have a good friend and uh, he would often call me and say, Hey, we had a strength coach drop out because uh, we needed him to do a practical and a practical is they actually had to demonstrate something with speed training or, or agility training or what have you. There's a lot of strength coaches that just want to give lectures because it's easy to get up and do coach speak. This is what we do. Mm -hmm. This is how we do it. They show some flashy videos and it looks like it's all good. But it really a lot of it's a protective mechanism because uh, in our field, if somebody demonstrates something poorly or let's say they do uh, some kind of a bad drill or it's just there's this feeling like it has to be amazing, then they feel like their credibility is harmed, right? They mm -hmm. feel like, oh, well, now people, they're not going to be impressed. It's very insecure, and it's a big reason why we flipped our apprenticeships. I was just like, I'm so tired of going to these conferences where it's death by get. PowerPoint. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What'd you say? Sit and get. I love it. That's perfect. I'm stealing that. Sit and get. And plus, nobody was learning. It was just, uh, it was like a fetishizing of information. Mm -hmm. People went home and they'd be like, oh, I got this notebook and all these great ideas. And maybe they'd apply a third. So I'm like, and I'm no Khan Academy, but we're like, what if we did 
a workshop where it was part role playing, like serious role playing. Yes. Like we have some fun too, but part role playing. We do something where it's part small group breakdowns, discussion, interaction, where we do stand up and everybody comes and presents in front of the whiteboard, does diagram. Mm-hmm. We of course still have the PowerPoint so we can talk about the science and application, but then we also do video breakdowns. We, we use Kolb's experiential learning. We know that there's different kinds of learners and you, uh, you approach that. I don't mm-hmm. like the way he teaches. There are certain people that like theory. There's certain people that like hands-on. They want to work with their intuition, their gut. They want to get up and feel and, and fail. And then there's other people that want to work with other people on complex problems. That's the workplace. That's the workplace, right? But we're not training them for it. We're training people for Netflix binging. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you realize that? And you made it like if, if we just want people to come and listen to lectures and then we wonder why we have a society that's just a, uh, a Netflix. Sit and get. <laughs> sit and get. Sit and get God, Netflix. I love that. You just, I hope everybody listening wrote that down. I know Allie Kirshner, who does our podcast reflections, is smiling. Allie, sit and get. You have to make sure that's a question of what that means. Heidi, that's amazing. Did you have anything else you want to add there? Because I know I went on a rant kind of in the middle. No, of I was just thinking, like, I learned a couple years ago when you said um, the role playing and things like that. So I went to another summer workshop where we actually had the dialogue between the teacher and the administrator mm. that they did maybe a poor job, but what does that conversation look like? Yeah. Right. So it is a very, um, a critical conversation you have with someone, but talking through it and actually doing the role play is, Completely a, different. you know, it, it, well, it helps too. So when the, it actually does happen with the teacher, I do have those skills in my toolbox to, work us through that. And then if that even means with me, just like you going up and teaching a lesson and showing the teacher what it's supposed to look like, that's, that's what they want, right? They want that um, constructive feedback and that criticism, you know, then it's not, what do you want from me, but what does it look like? Mm. Right. And so if I have it in my head and if I can't speak it to you and articulate it to you, let me show you. Yeah. Right. Yep. And you have to listen to it. And that's the only way it encodes. You have to you have to be up there and do those things, and I think that that's again we need we need places where we can rehearse and refine for moments mm-hmm. like this. I know I'm going to peer pressure you to get to one of our apprenticeships. Yes, and uh, I mean you, but like that's the thing that differentiates you and your husband is you guys have been through the leadership ups and downs, and you don't want to avoid those, and you can't. You have to lean into the mess. You have to lean into the gray area. You have to lean into the unknown. And it, it, what do we have to do? As we start to close this out, because you've given us more than enough of your time, what do we have to do, do you think, to get more leaders, and I'm using that broadly, right, coaches, teachers, whatever, mm-hmm. even parents, more comfortable with the idea of failing, like just going someplace, working on this stuff, taking their ego down, taking their guard down, and working on becoming better at these social dynamics, becoming a better teacher, and not not just wanting to sit and get this passive learning. What do you think we have to do to, to make that the default, the popular mode, the things that people seek out? Well, I think, you know, the fear of the unknown, but focus on what you can control, Mm. right? So focus on, you know, okay, I know it's going to change and I have to kind of change my mindset and be open to the change. So moving forward, um, hey, this might be a set and get kind of lecture that the district is now going to push out, you know, this CAP framework. But in the back of my head, I'm thinking, but it's what's best for our students. Yeah. Right? So how is Heidi Morrison going to adjust? Be flexible. Face the fears. You got to face the unknown. But just knowing this is what I can only control what I can control. And I always say, you know, God will only give you what you can handle. Right? So it's he will. And you just have to focus focus on that. Now, do you think that's easier? And I had this question from a listener uh, do you think that's easier? And I'll explain what I mean in a moment, but I want to get the question out because you dealt with the issue with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Mm-hmm. And I, and here's the context, right? I had got asked about my views on change and they're very similar, right? I, I of course, there's certain things I want to control, but I also like chaos. Um, it's all I knew growing up to a degree, like with some things that like, you know, moving with my family, divorce and this and that and whatever. Now we had a stable home, so I'm not painting some picture like, right. uh, but again, as it, it, you talked about, uh, Peyton with the, with the colors. Well, we had to decide what duffel bag we were going to pack every night, switching between mom and dad's. But like there, there is an argument that some of the best leaders, AKA most adaptable leaders went through things. Martin Luther King had depression and most people don't know this suicide attempt as a teenager, Gandhi suicide attempt as a teenager, depression, 
And there's all these people throughout history, Abraham Lincoln, depressive episodes, all these things. So what he asks is saying, do you think your hospitalization and all that, or do you think I have to go through something in order to get there? Because he admitted, he's like, I'm very, I'm scared of these things. I don't like change. I like this. I seek this. And I go, no, personally, I don't think, no, you don't need to be hospitalized or shot five times, like, Mm -hmm. or nine times, like 50 cent or this and that. But you do have to step into, you do have to seek out experiences that give you some kind of perspective and you don't do that through sit and get. So their, their trauma metaphorically could be just going to do what scares the hell out of them the most. Cause you, I had imagined you and I know I had to have very in-depth conversations with ourselves, our demons had to have family dinner with our demons to figure out how to get through that. But do you think people have to go through some kind of trauma to be able to get that kind of perspective and be more comfortable with change? You, know what? you brought up a really great point and I never thought about it like that. Excuse me. And, um, you know, I, I feel like at such a young age, I don't know about you, but I had to grow up very quickly, right? Yeah. I was making adult decisions, you know, so, um, having the radiation and it, that it was, um, near my, you know, fallopian tubes, and my ovaries, well, this is going to affect if I'm ever going to have kids again. Right. So, you know, I'm, I'm 15 years old, Yeah. you know? And so my mom, you know, was my voice. But I, I guess, and then the mindset that I had was, I can't control this. And, but, you know, my thing was the, the power of prayer that um, people were, you know, praying for me mm. that I think really helped me. I really never got sad or upset, you know, okay, Heidi, you're going to lose your hair. So, of course, as a woman and at 15 years old, a girl, I should say, you know, and I have red hair, is that they couldn't tell me, is it going to come back red? I don't know. Is it going to come back straight? I don't know. Curly? Maybe. So I'm like, well, what do you mean? Yeah. How do you even conceptualize that? You know, and how am I as a 15 year old supposed to deal with this? Yeah. Right. And then just how, how sick I was, but still trying to balance school and get through education. But the blessing, the blessing in disguise was when we lived in Wyoming for um, six years, I was a, so we moved from Ohio to Wyoming and then back to Ohio. So when we were in Wyoming, the schools were very advanced there. And so when we moved back to Ohio, I was a year ahead. Ah. I was a year ahead. So when I started um, high school back in Ohio, the guidance counselor's like, well, you can graduate as a junior. You're, you're, you're ahead of the game. Yeah, yeah. And then that happened in October. It's interesting. That happened to me too. Even though I, when I was hospitalized, I missed a year of school. I saw to do homework in the hospital and I ended up graduating early still from high school because like, I mean, you didn't have anything to do, but send a day room and then eat. And then, you know, yeah, anything else. So I ended up getting, and it's interesting that you brought up the 15 year old and you, you, you corrected yourself when you said woman and girl, but in Hispanic culture, 15, you'd have your quinceanera and you are a woman, you know? And so that's where I think we have to appreciate the cultural element of that too, because here's the expectation, right? That now you got to make those decisions or my brother-in-law is a Marine. And we, we talk about this all the time. It's very unique as does my friend and I, uh, Mike Megan, Mike Megan's a Ranger. And we are talking about how we kind of have this lack of identity in, in our culture in the United States, right? I get it. 15 Hispanic culture, right? Quinceanera, you are a woman. You have these things. Other cultures have their variation yet. America is so conflicted. 16, you can drive. Right. 18, you can join the military and 21, you can drink. And so we talked about this, like, where's the identity? Where's the flag in the ground? And when I asked my friend, Mike Megan, what do you think will be the undoing of our country? He, and he wasn't, he's not this dramatic guy. Very, very cerebral. If you guys haven't heard it, he's got a great episode um, on mental toughness and his views. And I don't really know many other people other than an army ranger who uh, can speak on that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Right. A very impressive human being. But he said, we don't have a lack of identity. How are we telling people that they can get, because there are some families, and I like this heuristic personally, right now it's what I'll teach my son. And that may change, right? He's six months old. <laughs> and, but when, when you are an adult, when you are, uh, you become an adult, when you take the wheel, when you take the wheel and all of a sudden you have your life and other lives that are in danger every day, based on the decisions you make, you're an adult. Now, am I saying people should be able to drink at 16? I'm not saying that. Now, my cousin, Matt Rankin, who grew up on a farm, Right, they were drinking at sixteen. They were mm-hmm. farm boys in Iowa, and you know what? He never had an unhealthy relationship with Iowa or with Iowa with uh, alcohol because it, it didn't become a big deal. Uh-huh. But when all of a sudden we place all these different landmarks, oh, you can drive at sixteen. Well, people make fake IDs for things. Oh, now you're an adult at eighteen. 
all right, now 21, it's like, oh my God, at what point are people supposed to like take responsibility right. and feel like, does that make sense what I'm saying to you? Absolutely. Do you find that interesting? I do. I do. And I really think it's a little bit of both with your point of going through a traumatic situation, because I do think part of leadership is um, a gene or it's innate, because I don't think I would be the leader I am today if it wasn't for my father and the way he is. And um, But that's nurture. That's not a... But I, but it's I also both. think going through the thing that I went through has made the mind, my mindset is different. Yeah. So my mindset would be different as compared to my husband's who, you know, we both had a great childhood. Don't get me wrong. But then, you know, he went to a leadership academy, you know, yeah. he went to the air force academy. So that, that is, is leadership in itself. So I don't know if somebody goes for a leadership, you know, degree, if you get those skill set. Or if it's the way that your mind thinks because of something that you went through. Yeah. No, it's a good point. I mean, and again, leadership, we say it in our work. Leadership is not about one person. There's an argument of are leaders born or made and what have you. Well, leadership's not about one person. It's about how the person, the context, the organization they're a part of, history, timing, all these things, and the followers or the people that are being led mm-hmm. all interact. That forms leadership. That's why you mentioned a village, right, or a tribe or what have you. That's collective leadership. And so what I think we're lacking is we have this idea that a leader has got to be one person. We see it right now. We act as if I did a post on social media the other day. Uh, it was like, oh, if only we had better leaders. We're all leaders. Right. And that's not fortune cookie bull. That's, that's the fact. Like, and not only that, any leader that we have in any organization or as a country or as a universe or anything else is a reflection of the best and the worst of us. You know, I find it interesting that we live in this extremist society And then we wonder why many of us are unhappy with leaders at various levels. Well, listen, we're doing it to ourselves. We have a society that drums up old tweets for somebody who's 40 that they put out when they're 10 and then they're five. We have cancel culture. So either way, I think we're speaking to the same thing of like put skin in the game, you know, like you, you have to be able to, you don't have to have some traumatic experience, but you have to embrace change Mm -hmm. and you don't get that from sit and get, go on and get, go on and get. Well, Heidi, I appreciate it. It's a Saturday yes. morning. Very, I know you were nervous about this <laughs> and I kind of reveled in that. I wanted to make you squirm a bit. Very eloquent. You make me feel at ease. You have dulcet tones that no doubt our audience is going to love listening to. And I couldn't appreciate your time more and your friendship. My pleasure. Guys, this has been the Art of Coaching podcast. We are going to have Heidi on for a part two without a doubt. I want to hear your feedback. Go to the Art of Coaching podcast community on Facebook. Tell us what you loved. Tell us what you want to hear more about with Heidi. And most importantly, fill out your podcast reflection forms. They're free. Artofcoaching.com backslash podcast reflection. This is not a sit and get podcast. These are free things done by Allie Kirshner of Stanford University, one of the best human beings I know. We're all trying to do our best to give you resources. Please, please, please make the most of them and share them with a friend. Until next time, this is the Art of Coaching Podcast signing off. 